Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu Peace and blessings to our listeners out there. Welcome to Monday's edition of the Drive Time Show. You're here live with myself, Talib Man, and Imam Imran Akram. So, how's it been, Imran? I haven't seen you for a while. Azubillahi minash shaitan rajim. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. Um, all praise belong to God. Uh, mm-hmm. Alhamdulillah, it's being uh, very busy in my field work, um, mm-hmm. taking classes of right. the children and uh, leading the prayer, leading the Jumma prayer, mm-hmm. and uh, giving the um, lecture to the community. So it's been very good. Uh, but uh, let's talk about uh, the topics of today. I think okay. they're very much. Uh, I feel like I'm in the schoolroom here. <laughs> we're told off now. <laughs> no. So we're yeah, going no, we've got uh, our usual two topics. So mm. what are our two topics today? Yeah, sure. So um, in, in the first hour, I think it's a very interesting topic uh, mm-hmm. and uh, also, a, you know, a current topic, child obesity fueled mm-hmm. by poverty. Yep. Uh, we will talk about in this, uh, in this hour uh, that, uh, um, you know, what are the causes of uh, child obesity and mm-hmm. how can we solve this uh, huge issue and problem. And then in the second hour, we're going to talk about uh, the concept of uh, bloodthirsty um, imam or mm, bloodthirsty messiah. messiah, I would say, yes. Yep. Uh, and so there's a mainstream belief in um, Muslim, Sunni Muslim uh, community that uh, the, the second coming of the Messiah is going to be bloodthirsty and he will not going to give the option to the people mm-hmm. whether they are going to say that accept Islam or he going to kill them. Mm. So I think um, we're going to debunk you know mm-hmm. these type. I mean, of the, the, I suppose the crux of that um, <coughs> debate, let's in a nice way, let's put it, theological debate mm-hmm. as to a bloodthirsty Messiah, is that um, I mean, to me, mm-hmm. why would the second coming of a Messiah, I suppose, rubbish everything that had come before it? Absolutely. Right. That's a good, very well pointed. Um, yeah. Because <laughs> Islam teaches us. I mean, the, the, the name of Islam. In Arabic is peace, right? Absolutely. And so, <laughs> therefore, it seems to be counterintuitive or, uh, you know, totally contrary to the message of Islam that um, a Messiah or the second coming of the Messiah, and with that, the Messiah will uh, effectively um, rubbish, like I say, everything that has come previous uh, from uh, the Holy Quran. Mm-hmm to the Sunnah, the, the practice of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings be peace upon him. Because, uh, you know, to my limited understanding, I'm sure uh, mm-hmm. Imam Saab here will correct me, everything uh, up to this point mm-hmm. in, I suppose, the development of Islam from the point of inception uh, has been to promote a message of peace. Absolutely. Right? I think, yeah. I think, uh, you know, the point you mentioned early on, uh, that the meaning of Islam 
is peace. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the promised Messiah, uh, uh, peace be upon him, said in one place that uh, Islam means the, to submit to the will of God. Yeah. Now, if we, w- one on one hand, we believe this, and on the other hand, we say that the Messiah is going to come and kill everyone who doesn't believe in him, mm-hmm. then that's totally contradict the meaning of Islam. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's countless Islam. verses mm-hmm. in Islam. I mean, one of the major tenets and one of the most beautiful things um, about Islam is that it preaches that religion is non yeah, is non-compulsive, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You cannot be compelled to believe in a religion because if you think about it, right, on a more like um, humani- human, yeah, what's what I'm trying to say, humanitarian way, yeah, uh-huh. in a more kind of like humane way. Yeah. Just as an example, if you make someone do something, mm-hmm, right, mm-hmm. then what are the likelihoods that they really want to do that thing? Absolutely. Okay. Not. You just yeah. think about your kids, right? You're a parent. Yeah. You make them do extra homework. You make them do something, right? Then there is going to be some inertia as to them actually truly accepting that, yeah. right? So that non compulsion in religion, which is one of the most beautiful aspects of Islam, has been taken away because, you know, if you don't believe, and this is this belief that uh, uh, the Sunnis now have that actually if you don't believe with the coming of the second Messiah mm. you'll be put to the sword but anyway we're, mm. we're jumping into that that one <laughs> yeah. you know, straight Fully. away let's actually uh, pull ourselves back and mm. go into our mm-hmm. first topic which is equally important uh, in a sense as well mm. right and that is uh, childhood obesity uh, is actually fueled by uh, you know the current situation mm-hmm. with poverty right mm-hmm. I mean is there any verses in the Holy Quran that we can look at Absolutely. So uh, Allah the Almighty says in chapter 7, verse 32, O children of Adam, look to your adornment at every time and place of worship, and eat and drink, but exceed not the bounds. Mm -hmm. Surely he does not love those who exceed the bounds. So uh, I think uh, this is a very, you know, very bedrock or say very mm. basic uh, verse in the Holy Quran which says that one should uh, adopt the way of uh, you know a middle way I would mm-hmm. say uh, the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him said that the best strategy is uh, to uh, to adopt the middle way mm-hmm. not exceeding the, the bounds path, so in, yeah. in the in, in uh, you know having um, in also you know eating one should adopt this uh, middle way not exceeding mm-hmm. the bounds yeah exactly <laughs> now childhood obesity has emerged as a pressing global health concern over the past few decades with rates steadily rising in many countries uh, there are various factors which contribute to this epidemic one significant and often overlooked factor is poverty poverty and childhood obesity are intricately linked as socio-economic inequalities place a critical role in the uh, in the shaping of a child's access mm-hmm. to healthy food i mean we've seen this you can see i mean just go on to go, go to your supermarket and you'll mm-hmm. see that where you should be buying your fruit and veg maybe the organic mm-hmm. right the mm-hmm. more healthier options mm-hmm. it's more expensive absolutely yeah mm-hmm. so it, it does make it hard mm-hmm. uh, for you to I mean, harder, I mm-hmm. should say, mm-hmm. to, for you to buy uh, at a at a cheap rate or at a affordable rate, 
and uh, to feed your children or your family in a healthy way. Now, according to Camilla Kingdon, uh, the primary cause of Britain's childhood obesity emergency is clear. It's poverty. Childhood obesity and poverty share a complex relationship, which in turn uh, fuel a public health crisis. I mean, how does poverty contribute mm. to obesity? Mark? I think a very good question. So if we look, um, you know, uh, the what, how does poverty you know, contribute to obesity in, in children? So uh, there are a number of reasons. For, for example, you know, limited access to healthy food. Mm-hmm. So one of the most you know, direct ways poverty contributes to childhood obesity is by limiting a family's access to nutritious foods. Mm. Then uh, there are another you know, um, reason is fa- family with lower incomes, you know, often struggles to afford fresh fruits, as you said previously, vegetables and other healthy options, instead relying on cheaper and uh, calorie deficit, uh, you know, calorie deficit um, and less nutritious alternatives. Mm. Fast food and uh, processed snacks are often more affordable and, uh, you know, readily available, leading to you know, uh, poor dietary choices that can increase the risk of obesity mm-hmm. among children. Then, you know, food deserts. Mm-hmm. So um, in many low-income neighborhoods, the concept of food deserts prevails. So there are areas, food deserts are, you know, areas where access to grocery stores or markets offering fresh, healthy food is severely limited. Families living in food deserts often rely on a convenience store or fast you know, food outlets, which tends to prevent, you know, provide less nutritious food. And, uh, you know, as a result, children in these areas face significant obstacles to maintaining a balanced diet, making them more susceptible to obesity. Yeah, I mean, that's the problem. It's, mm-hmm. it's, maybe it's not the child's choice, but, uh, you know, the children don't actually go out and do the shopping. It's the parents who mm-hmm. ultimately go out and do the shopping. And, yeah, you have that. I suppose you're balancing. You're trying to juggle things around. Uh, and I've always been a proponent of, or actually, I, that's totally incorrect of me. I'll <laughs> rescind that. I've always been an opponent of the argument that there's no time to cook. <laughs> and I understand that. But I come from a cooking background. Okay. Right? I grew up in a in a restaurant, and it is very easy to cook a meal. <laughs> right? Um, okay. It's costlier now because of with the increase in uh, utility prices, electricity and gas. But still, Mm -hmm. there are ways and means around that. And uh, I would contend that, you know, if the argument were that actually, you know, we're working a couple of jobs, we come home. Yeah, this is the parent, right? Uh, And we're tired. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we just want uh, something convenient, something, uh, you know, we can bung in the microwave, (laughs) ding, you know, a minute later, and you can feed the kids, you know, something like uh, something in chips with beans. But in the time that you can do something like that, maybe an extra 10 minutes, Mm -hmm. you can make something from scratch. Okay. And, you know, sometimes you have to not think out of the box, just you know some basics you know you can have store cupboard basics which you can keep in and just supplement those with whatever's in season because i think you know that's one of the 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 things that we supermarkets now have made us lazy Hmm. as consumers because then we think you know where in this country are you supposed to have strawberries all year round (laughs) 
Yeah, my father-in-law uh, used to. He was a great, great um, proponent of actually you should eat what's in season because a it tastes okay. better mm-hmm. because it's in season, but it's the right course. I mean, mm-hmm. something that you said about uh, the middle way. Mm-hmm. It's it's actually having some, I suppose, a balance in balance. your life, mm-hmm. right? And this balance comes from actually, you know what? You have seasonal vegetables, mm-hmm. even in this country. Regardless of Brexit, we mm-hmm. can get seasonal vegetables, um, and you know, you if you marry them up with you know just a little bit of protein, mm-hmm. yeah, you can make a very decent meal. Absolutely. And you know, if you if you want to argue me with this, I'm quite happy to argue <laughs> with you, or let's call it a debate. Mm-hmm. Uh, call us on o two o eight six eight seven seven eight seven or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. Um, to talk more regarding this, we've got our first guest of the day, uh, Zanera. Uh, Awas. Now, Zanara is a, a fourth-year student dietitian at the University of Surrey. Now, she has an interest in pediatric nutrition as well as eating disorders. Assalamu alaikum. Peace and blessings be upon you, Zanara. Thank you for joining us on the Drive Time Show. Thank you for having me again. Okay, <laughs> so you're a regular. Um, <laughs> I've been on here a few times. Yeah. Excellent. So, 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 not just a regular. You, you are one of our fountains of information regarding this. So, you know, we're talking about childhood obesity, and is it fueled by poverty? I mean, mm-hmm. can you, for our listeners out there, um, you know, explain or illustrate the the relationship between food insecurity and childhood obesity? Then. Yeah, sure. So, so some of the uh, explanations you've already very like articulately said, actually, and um, I can tell you're definitely very clued up about this. Um, but one of the things that um, is often overlooked is that there is um, a lot more um, fast food outlets, actually, in places that are mm-hmm. um, more deprived areas. So mm-hmm. Public Health England in 2017 re- released a fast food map, which basically shows the fast food outlets around the country. And yeah, there's definitely a correlation between um, areas that are more deprived and just having more fast food um, places. And mm-hmm. those areas tend to also have um, a higher obesity prevalence. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, definitely quite a clear... Um, so there is a clear correlation between this food insecurity. Because, I mean, what do we talk... What, what do you... Yeah, this, this terminology now has become quite, I suppose, mainstream. I mean, food insecurity. If I were to think five years ago, this term just didn't exist. I mean, what does that actually mean? Does that mean like what we just can't get food, right? Yeah, and it definitely is um, the fact that we're not able to get sort of the fresh produce in particular. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. The, the more processed foods, um, and not all processed food is necessarily unhealthy, mm-hmm. um, but generally processed foods are a lot cheaper. So, for example, mm-hmm. things like a packaged burger compared mm-hmm. to a freshly burger would be a lot cheaper. And yep. um, you can also get more uh, healthier processed foods. For example, like a can of tuna. Mm-hmm. It is processed because it's not fresh and it, right. it comes in brine. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of the amount of um, saturated fat, for example, it has in it, it is significantly mm-hmm. lower than a doner kebab, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but doner kebab does sound nice. <laughs> once in a while, once in a blue moon. I think Imran's yeah. got a question. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Zara, um, as we're talking about uh, you know uh, child obesity and one of the main causes of child obesity is poverty so uh, what role does limit access to fresh and uh, nutritious food in low income areas play in child obesity rates yeah so um 
definitely resorting to the more um, like convenient foods, mm-hmm. especially uh, people who are of a um, who are more deprived. Um, they tend to like sort of work longer shift hours, maybe even have multiple jobs, making cooking a lot more difficult. Um, and also, um, something that is often overlooked is that. Uh, people from poorer backgrounds may not have access to equipment to cook meals like an oven or a stove and i've had a few patients that only have a microwave so mm-hmm. they definitely limit the amount of uh, well, how they can cook fresh meals um mm. yeah so zanara i mean you know we understand this problem right and it is you know this there's this correlation there's this this relationship between um uh, obesity or sorry childhood obesity and poverty so you know how can we actually break or how can we make this relationship in a positive way uh, you know what what are what, what are, what's your suggestion regarding that should the government have a more of a um, a stance on public health here you know mm-hmm. promote how we should eat because i remember i think maybe definitely pre-covid right mm-hmm. so say 2018 there was quite a big you used to have the you know the five a day Right, uh-huh. in, yeah. uh, having your diet five you know, vegetables, fruits, whatever, whatever they may be, but at least that's a step in the right direction. That seems to have just fallen by the wayside now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, especially uh, you know things like the um, like fast food restaurants. You know, unfortunately at home we can't really we don't really have much control over that. It's definitely what the um, the government needs to uh, try to I guess reduce it, and especially mm-hmm. in those areas. So there are uh, a lot of things that the government um, can do as well as um, making food more accessible to people that are deprived. So giving more food vouchers mm-hmm. uh, in particular and supporting f- local food banks um, is really important. Um, and another sort of thing uh, is it does start at home as well. Mm-hmm. So we can we all have um, the power to try to improve our own health. Uh, so things like which are practical ways would be to as you discussed before having seasonal foods so uh, not only seasonal foods taste better they're also cheaper uh, as well as that um, having things like frozen fruit and vegetables um, which are actually not you know less nutritious than fresh fruit and vegetables because mm-hmm. they are um, like frozen at a time where the nutrition is at its peak so the mm-hmm. nutrition is still there um, as well as having like canned produce without added salt and sugar uh, is also a, a good alternative. And it's not fresh, but it's mm-hmm. still, it's very nutrient dense. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so, Zunara, you know, in this in these kind of difficult difficult times, like poverty wise, what are some practical tips or you know uh, recommendations for parents with limited financial resources to promote healthier mm-hmm. uh, eating habits in their children? Yeah, sure. So. Um, Having uh, a lot of people sort of think that um, certain supermarket brands might have higher quality produce than others, um, but generally for fruit and vegetables, like if you buy um, a tomato from Aldi, it probably tastes you know very similar to one from Waitrose, for example. Mm-hmm. And even supermarket own brands um, mm-hmm. to just opt for those. Um, also, one thing that I do quite a lot as a student um, is that I look at the reduced section of the fresh fruit foods aisle. Mm-hmm. So these can expire like the next day, for example. So what I do is buy quite a lot of them and freeze them and they'll last you for, for weeks. Mm-hmm. So that's a really cost-effective way of still getting fresh produce that will mm-hmm. last for a, fairly, uh, a long time. As well as that, families that do need extra support um, can also consider claiming some food vouchers from the government and going to their local food bank. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, there are also some ways that uh, don't cost anything. Uh, for example, um, being more mindful of portion sizes. Mm. Um, it's common that I've, um, I've had uh, adults all tell me that they feed their child the same portion that they have themselves. Um, and they didn't actually realise that a child had um, a different portion size of pasta, for example, compared mm-hmm. to an adult. So, yeah, just making sure that um, just more mindful about portion sizes. If you're not sure what a portion size is, uh, then the British Nutrition Foundation has brilliant PDF-like um, pictures that you can uh, see what a portion size um, is as well. And just having like a child-sized plate uh, would be a good option for mm-hmm. giving them your average adult plate. Mm. Um, and another thing that doesn't cost mm. anything would be to eat without distractions. A lot of children nowadays eat in front of the tablet or yeah. the TV. And there is, you know, clear, um, I, I'm sure you can see from, uh, if you do it yourself, like if you eat in front of the TV, you tend to eat a bit more because you're not really sure whether you're full or not. Um, maybe eat a bit more till the episode's over type of thing. Um, I've definitely been there before. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> well, it's, it's usually you finish whatever's on your plate and then you reach <laughs> for the snacks afterwards, right? Or during, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. if that episode's still yeah. going. So, uh, Zanara, I mean, with this, yeah, uh, Maybe you can counter you know, a parent's uh, argument like, well, okay, you know what? It's only whilst they're growing up. It'll be fine, right? Mm-hmm. But what are really the long-term ramifications and the health consequences for um, you know, a child who's going through obesity in their, you know, in their childhood? Mm, yeah, I've definitely heard that quite a lot. You know, the, the kids are growing, so just feed them extra, yeah. fill mm-hmm. the plate. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, you know, I do understand where that's coming from because uh, um, many children seem to sort of grow into their weight. So as they're shorter, they tend to look a bit chubbier, but then as they shoot up, then their sort of proportions uh, seem to, um, I guess, normalise a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's definitely important to um, consider their their diet from a young age to prevent um, like um, conditions in their adult life. Uh, so things like um, various different heart diseases and strokes it does seem quite you know dramatic but it is something to consider especially considering that there are more younger people unfortunately having um heart diseases in the uk mm-hmm. uh, and other factors like psychological issues um can also like low self-esteem especially in school mm-hmm. can improve their school performance and their relationships and there is more and more research about the um, the links between not having a like a nutrient uh, a nutritious diet and having low mood like uh, depression anxiety for example mm-hmm. um, that's also uh, yeah something to consider uh, as well as with the low self esteem um, ca- uh, children may resort to coping with their emotions in harmful ways like binge eating and other yeah. disordered behaviours so trying to you know. Um, find ways to manage their weight can also really help with with their their mood um, and mm. prevent them going down into sort of the yo-yo dieting phase. Mm, exactly. Well, Zanara, it's been. Oh, sorry. I think everyone's got like a follow-up <laughs> question there. Yeah. So, Zanara, you previously mentioned that uh, when eating, one should be mind, you know, mindful. So, I've heard, mm-hmm. you know, uh, many moms saying that you know their children does not, you know, eat unless uh, he or she is watching something on tablet. Mm-hmm. So, do you think uh, this is one of the uh, one of the causes of obesity in uh, in child obesity? And is there any, you know, guideline for the parents who are struggling with this problem? 
Yeah, so it's definitely one of the factors that can contribute to a child eating more than they actually need to or, or want to. Um, so, yeah, as I kind of said before, like when you do have distractions, you're not able to register whether you're full, mm-hmm. you're not able to sort of savour the flavour. And mm-hmm. um, so one thing that I um, like to sort of encourage parents to do is to, if possible, sit down with, with your child. That is, um, yeah, something that I really recommend. Mm-hmm. And just ask them questions about their food as well. Mm-hmm. So um, about the sensory sort of experience. So what can you taste? What can you smell? What flavours do you like? What flavours, you know, don't you like as much? So just allow them to really savour it. Um, and just be in tune with their with their body a bit more as well, and then they'll realise when they are satisfied with eating, and therefore are less likely to overeat. Mm-hmm. So yeah, mindful eating is a really uh, is becoming more of a of a common um, you know thing to do for well being, but it's really important to prevent obesity as well. Mm, excellent. Well, Zanara, thank you very much for joining us uh, on the Drive Time Show this afternoon. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. Welcome. Thank you. 0208 or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. Um, and I suppose yeah, one of those things mm. that we we're talking about, the factors um, which contribute to uh, obesity. And okay, poverty is one, mm. but mm. you know, also a lack of physical activity yeah. opportunities. Uh, and that's a consequence of... Uh, Maybe not poverty, but it's limited access to safe and well-maintained recreational mm. facilities. You know, children from low-income families may not have the access to parks, playgrounds, sports programs, uh, which are essential to promoting physical activity. This lack of uh, opportunity for exercise can contribute to a sedentary lifestyle and weight gain, increasing the risk of uh, childhood obesity. And you know, something that Zanara, point, um, I suppose. You know, mm-hmm. pointed out as well um, you know the effects are you know on stress and the mental health of a child absolutely I think you know poverty you know often leads to chronic stress for families struggling to make you know end meets and this you know chronic stress can have nev- negative effect on both adults and mm-hmm. children including the potential for emotional eating sometime you know uh, when they have ups and downs in their life so they uh, eat more than necessary so emotional eating and unhealthily you know coping mechanisms so these behaviors can further worsen the risk of child obesity mm. the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him said that you should eat slowly eating slowly is recommended for health so slow eating reduces the consumption of food you know mindful eating when we were mm-hmm. talking about uh, you know, um, I think this is something that Zanara was like pointing yeah. out. If you actually you savor the flavor of yeah, this, yeah. I mean, I would I can test right. A lot of people don't know if you're feeding them chicken, mm-hmm. right? Depending on how you cook it, chicken or lamb, maybe. Yeah. I could do a blind test, right? Mm-hmm. And I've done this before, um, even with my children. We've just just as a joke uh, when they're a bit younger, mm-hmm. I would cook different meats, right? And say, okay. what is that meat? Okay. And the thing is, because so much of our food now is processed, even the proteins, right, the meats mm-hmm. is pro- mm-hmm. uh, processed, that they don't actually have their original taste. Mm-hmm. So it's very hard for you to distinguish okay. what is uh, one type of meat or another. Mm-hmm. And so, <laughs> in some regards, actually, there's no point in buying a Wagyu steak, right, <laughs> which is you know top premium. Yeah compared to something which is cheaper because you don't have the palate 
to distinguish the difference between the two. Mm. Although I don't know what the nutritional benefit would be. You know, is there a difference? Mm. There definitely is a price difference yeah, right, yeah. between a Wagyu uh, A5 <laughs> grade steak <laughs> compared mm. to just a normal rump steak or something yeah. like that in, in terms of sure. beef. So there is that idea of you know, just taking your time, mm. saving your food, and then you digest it better. Absolutely. So slow eating reduces the consumption of food as it you know, uh, postpones much of the meal to a time when the you know, absorption of nutrients begin to produce psychological signals of satiety. Mm-hmm. So slow eating helps in chewing the food well. This results in the exercise of the jaws and mixing of the saliva with food. Hence, you know, um, uh, effective and, you know, digestion take place because the food, you know, particles are cut into smaller pieces, not requiring as much, you know, churning in the stomach or intestine. So mm. these are, you know, you know, some of the, um, um, you know, tips that one should be mindful when, you know, eating mm-hmm. and one should not, you know, uh, eating more when they are mm. going through stress or some hard and I think um, one of the points that Zanara said, so, mm-hmm. so the, you know, the, I suppose the outcome mm-hmm. of obesity, especially in young children, is that stigma, Yeah. right? Um, you know, as growing up in this country, uh, going through the, the you know, infant primary school and secondary uh, school system here, mm-hmm. you know, because like elements, I mean, you know, children are nasty at the end of the day. They can be picky, right? Right, yeah. right. And, you know, you have these groups within within schools and, you know, you have your little gangs and your little cliques and you always have those who are outsiders and they are picked upon primarily for their phys- the difference in physicality, right? right, right. So if you are obese, mm-hmm. then, you know, that, that doesn't help in that regard. You're, you're basically, you're a target, right? Yeah. And, you know, it seems to me to be kind of like very unfortunate that it is uh, those who are in the low income, you know, who can't afford to eat healthy, mm. end up being mm. that way inclined. Absolutely. Really. I've got some stats regarding, uh, you know, child obesity. Mm-hmm. So um, in 2016, more than 1.9 billion adults, 18 years or and older, were overweight and of these, over one hundred uh, six hundred and fifty million were obese. Wow! So uh, it's a staggering, you know, um, stats. And then, according to the, uh, you know, World Health Organization (WHO), mm-hmm. the world, uh, the global prevalence of overweight and obesity among children and adolescents aged nine to nine, age five to nineteen years, was about. 10% in wow. 2019. So, and this number is, you know, steadily increasing. So that's that's like, you know, the, the population of the world, mm. around about 6 billion, right? Yeah, yeah. Coming up to 7 billion. Yeah. So that's, uh, you know, what's that? That's 100 million? Yeah. Is that right? One so, per- no, 10%. Uh, what yeah. are we talking so about? One, around one 2 billion. billion. Yeah, around no, 1 billion. 1 billion, one yeah. billion yeah. are overweight and obese. Yeah. And if we think about that, then, you know, it, it's got to be... Mm something that the government has to really take a hold of because if you think about it it's in the government's best interest Mm. to actually limit this Mm. type of obesity and to nip it in the bud as as early as possible because Mm. i'm thinking well it's only gonna uh, and something that zanara pointed Mm. out right the long-term consequences Mm. of childhood obesity are that you have an adulthood you're gonna have increase in heart uh heart disease uh, diabetes, mm-hmm. these other health um, complications, right? Right, right? Of which, 
is an impact on a nation, is you know the UK's economy, mm-hmm. right? Because you're going to be taking people out of the workforce because they, well, I'm sick. Mm-hmm. Why are you sick? Because I've got a health complaint, right? Mm-hmm. Why is that? Because I'm obese, mm-hmm. and it's not, it's, you know, it's no fault of my own. Mm-hmm. But maybe if the government had um, or does, let's say, have more of a proactive campaign to, because it's something that I think is quite easily done. Um, you don't need to, you know, fork out huge amounts of money, right? It's mm. just a program whereby you say, look, you know, this is how we can, and it, it can't be uh, just one element, right? It has to be a coordinated program. It's not just eating healthily; yeah, yeah. it's having more of a healthier lifestyle. Absolutely. So I think uh, when I was researching on this topic, um, one of the you know issue or one of the causes of childhood obesity is. Uh, marketing of unhealthy foods and drink to children mm. you know it may contribute to obesity by influencing their food choices and uh, taking advantage of their you know developmental vulnerabilities mm. so exposure to unhealthy food uh, advertisement increases food t- intake in children so the research you know uh, the research um, suggests that um, advertisement increase you know uh, f- uh, unhealthy food advertisement increase uh, the food intake in children for example in, an australian study showed that uh, children aged 7 to 12 years increase food intake following ex- exposure to unhealthy food marketing and did not uh, you know compensate for this by reducing food intake at a subsequent meal and according to the here's a you know very uh, mind boggling stat that according to the department of health mm-hmm. around 1 billion pound was spent in the uk on food and drink advertising in the uk wow so just advertising food and drink um, around 1 billion pound was spent and you know according to the report by um, Compass, 70% of three years old recognize the symbols of uh, these junk foods, for example. Yeah. Uh, for example, the, the, children. Yeah, the, the golden arches yeah. right straight away. For example, you know, uh, McDonald's, KFC, yeah. other, mm-hmm. other chicken shops, uh, you know, Burger King. 70% of children, three years old children, they recognize the symbol of, you know, and only half of them do know their own surname. So you can. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, an amazing stat. Yeah. I mean, we're laughing, yeah. but actually, it's nothing. It's not a laughing matter if yeah. you think about it, right? So that's how significant this subliminal, mm-hmm. like uh, dripping into just a, a child's psyche. Yeah, yeah. You know, they don't even know their own surname, yeah. but they know the Golden Arches, right? Yeah. <laughs> or you know, Colonel Colonel, you know, Kentucky's yeah. chicken. Yeah. I mean, so that's what I mean. You know that. I think it starts, mm-hmm. it has to be a coordinated effort, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, not just uh, from government public health, but from parents as well, mm-hmm. because, we, we, you know, we see it that, um, you know, if we don't lead by example, I mean, mm-hmm. ultimately, you know, it's not a child that provides its own food, mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. the parents that cook, Absolutely. or they, they're the ones who, you know, provide the food. Mm-hmm. So if you provide an unhealthy um, choice, mm-hmm. Then what's the child got? The child has no choice, right? Absolutely. It's not as if they can mm-hmm. say, oh, actually, no, I would like to eat a healthier mm-hmm. diet. Mm-hmm. It's down to, you know, the parents to take that first decision, really. Absolutely. So I think uh, the government or the parents should have a proper 
planning mm-hmm. and uh, you know um, as i was stating before that around 1 billion pound was spent uh, on advertising food and drinks in the uk only mm-hmm. so um, you have to be careful uh, with the food uh, which you're children especially eating and mm-hmm. i think you mentioned uh, the the previous point that you know it is not very hard to cook uh, an uh, an healthy meal for your children especially children who are going to school and sometimes mm-hmm. you know parents are working as well and they they just give them the money to buy yeah, exactly. things which, it's, so it's i think this is an easy a, out. Yeah, yeah. it's an easy yeah. out but to speak more about um childhood obesity uh, and the problems that it comes with uh, we've got our next guest of the day uh, dr basma ikram uh, basma is a junior doctor she studied at king's college london and has uh, was graduated back in 2018 she's currently training to be a gp assalamualaikum peace and blessings be upon you dr basma thank you for joining us on uh, the drive time show welcome thank you zakala for having me so we're talking about the well the, the link between obesity childhood obesity and poverty uh, i mean what are the key indicators or signs that a child might be at risk of obesity well of course obesity is not uh, it's not so straightforward that just because you know someone um comes from a more socioeconomically deprived background they're definitely going to be obese there's lots mm-hmm. of different factors um generally if you look at the families um and that's a combination of genetic factors and also environmental meaning certain families the type of food they're cooking the portions they give their children their lifestyle whether they're an active family or not so typically if a family has members who are mostly overweight or obese the child then tends to be mm-hmm. um we know certain ethnicities are also more prone to obesity um as well and then of course the big one that everyone is concerned about is sort of poverty or people from the more deprived areas of the UK children from those areas are more likely to be obese as well mm-hmm. so um dr bisma um are there any specific factors in a family's you know lifestyle or environment that might contribute to a, a child's weight Of course there's so many um first of all it's um it's essentially this relationship with food and sadly what we know is that um um families where unfortunately they may have suffered from poverty in the past or they come from countries where food can be very scarce when they come to a country like the UK where food's quite abundant um they can kind of they still have they go into extreme overdrive they don't they want their children you know they think their children should be more chubbier they 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 get scared their children they don't want their children going through starvation essentially um but then other lifestyle factors are Sporting in terms of clinic <laughs> are you still are you still there dr basva yes so um i mean are there um yeah how can we ensure that our children maintain a healthy weight then especially if we have limited financial resources I think the number one thing um that needs to be done is actually knowing what a healthy weight is for children. You'll be shocked um you know I've had lots of patients come bring their kids to me because they're worried they say oh everyone in my family tells me my child's too skinny or my child you know might have some disease because they're too skinny and actually that child is perfectly normal for their for their age and height. So I think people unfortunately there's this idea you know they're very of a healthy chunky sort of chubby child. So knowing what a healthy weight is for a child mm-hmm. um in terms of resources it will obviously it it, it is harder to cook fresh food and it is it's, it's far easier to get food from outside, take away or to get frozen ready meals because you know they're ready in just a few minutes. 
So it will take a bit of planning and organization, but you can actually long-term bulk buying food, things like rice, pasta, you know, tins of tomatoes, chickpeas, they're still very, very um, affordable. Mm-hmm. You know, I know you can get tins of chickpeas and tomatoes, so like 50p at sort of grocery stores like Lidl and Aldi. And then planning well, you know, knowing, okay, if I'm working these days, and I'm going to be too tired to cook, then maybe if I cook earlier in the week or on the weekend, you know, meal prepping, mm-hmm. and then freeze ha- part of the food um, so then it, I can reheat it for later on. So at least it's, you know, food that has been made fresh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, and actually, I just wanted to kind of jump in before Imran's got his question. Is there, like, say for our you know parents at home, is there some quick form? I mean, you know, you obviously there's the BMI, right, body mass index. But for kids, yeah, or if you for your own kids to see that actually they could be, you know, en route to being obese. Is there some kind of like formula uh, apart from BMI, or is that the one? that we go to to see and assess you know straight off without having going to the GP right okay I need to make a change with my child's diet so BMI is, was obviously designed more for adults. Mm-hmm. Um, for children, um, you can see in your sort of red book, so the red book that you should have received when your child was born, yeah. there's a sort of height and weight centiles, and you can mm-hmm. see, you know, according to height and weight where your child is. And that's actually very more helpful, I think, with children, because you can see, for example, if a child's sort of in the 50th centile for height, meaning the average height, you're not tall, you're not short, and the 50th centile for weight, then you know you're, you know, you're doing something right. But if your child, for example, is in the 20th you know, in the bottom centile for height, so they're not very tall, mm-hmm. but for weight, they're suddenly in the 95th centile, and you know something is disproportionate. They shouldn't be so heavy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Busma, what role does access to healthy food and physical activity play in, you know, child obesity, and how can we improve these aspects in our situation? Yeah, well, it's the key factor, isn't it? It's access to food. Unfortunately, our habits when it comes to food are formed in childhood. So if you grew in a family home where food was never made fresh, where you were having sort of almost always frozen meals, you know, things like pizzas and ready meals and takeaways, then when you become an adult, you're, you know, no one ever taught you how to cook food. So, mm-hmm. And you don't have that habit of, you know, going grocery shopping, watching your parents cook food, um, etc. Um so, um, so it can have a really big impact. And again, with lifestyle, with a- activities, you know, we know families um, that exercise together. And you don't have to be going to the gym together. Just things like going on walks, going cycling on the weekends, just in the parks regularly. Mm-hmm. You tend to keep up that level of activity because it's what you're used to. Mm-hmm. But of course, nowadays, we do have the internet. So I've, I've, I've met a lot of young people who maybe once they go to university and they've moved out of their family homes, it's only mm-hmm. when they started living with other people they realize oh, maybe the way my family did things wasn't the best or it wasn't the healthiest. Mm-hmm. And they, um, and of course, obviously, as a student as well, the student loans, you're a bit more budget <laughs> conscious. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You've most really got 24 cans of Netto baked beans, right, uh, in the store cupboard, uh, ready to be cooked up. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, Dr. Basma, it's been a pleasure speaking to you this afternoon. Uh, thank you very much for joining us on the Drive Time Show. Exactly uh, for having me. Thank so you very again. much. Thank Have you a good so day. O two O eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. So let's go personal here. So mm. Imam uh, Imran, how was your kind of uh, upbringing then? I mean, to me, you mm-hmm. look like an average kind of guy, average mm-hmm. height, you know, physicality, uh-huh. you know, obese. So you know, I mean, 
Did you have, mm. you know, was your upbringing having like family meals together? Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, we have very you know, traditional Asian upbringing. Uh, you know, my parents were, were having, we used to have a meal together. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously, um, I think normal, uh, normally as, as an Asian background, we use chapati and mm-hmm. uh, with with a, with a curry and uh, in my childhood i remember i used to eat uh, I, I love eggs so mm-hmm. i used to eat boiled eggs and uh, you know stuff like that and also there is a you know there is a, a special thing called uh, uh meaty chapati which is uh, like sweet uh, you know chapati and mm-hmm. uh, my mom used to uh, make it for me so uh, i have a pretty normal uh, upbringing but uh, with that uh, um because we belong to ahmadi muslim community we used to have uh, sports every day mm-hmm. so um i remember when i was growing up um i was when i was 8 till uh, 15 i used to play every day cricket especially cricket and sometimes mm-hmm. badminton so i think uh, one hour and uh, one one and a half hour i used to play every day mm-hmm. then i after obviously janjamia i used to play there as well so i think uh, eating healthy and take care of of, of uh, your health is a part of of, a, of your religious duty as well mm-hmm. because you cannot uh, discharge your duty towards other human beings until your yourself is healthy mm-hmm. so that is why for example if you have joint pain or, or your you know uh, your obesity you cannot do proper ibadah mm-hmm. you have to sit down on the chair and you have to do uh, you know prayer stuff like that so uh, i think in order to to discharge your duty towards god and towards hum- uh, your you know fellow human beings towards your parents uh, every, everyone you have to stay fit mm-hmm. mentally and physically and mm-hmm. this is one i think one of the main duty of as as a Ahmadi muslim mm-hmm. yeah i think not just as Ahmadi muslim yeah. just as a, as, as a person, human yeah, being absolutely. right yeah i mean yeah if we look back you know the, in terms of like school here in the, in the uk mm-hmm. you know the cuts to school pe hours i mean i you know i, I grew up in schools here mm-hmm. uh primary school secondary school and wednesdays mm-hmm. was always your pe day Okay. And you spent the whole afternoon doing sports, whether mm-hmm. you know, during the summertime you'd do athletics, mm-hmm. although I was never really interested in athletics, uh-huh. but you'd have cricket. And then during winter, it would be um, football, rugby, hockey. But you would always be doing something when, you know, every Wednesday afternoon, that would be sports. Okay. And you would be, uh, I, I like sports, mm, right? I've okay. always liked sports, mm-hmm. like yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, not really, yeah, into cricket, mm-hmm. more into hockey, field hockey. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it just had a lot of that. And even in a later life, I, I still have a love of sports, right? Sure, yeah. And I think that's one of the main things is to engender and i think society has lost that now absolutely right yeah. whereby you know you just i'm not saying that it's gone mm. but even in terms of let's look at the stats yeah mm. i mean last academic year 2022 mm. okay let's forget you know the, you know during the pandemic right because everyone's locked out but last pandem- uh, last academic year sorry 2022 4000 hours of pe uh, physical education were lost in state funded schools okay. uh, cuts to physical education hours in schools can contribute to an increase or definitely to the obesity in children uh, reduce physical activity Uh, I mean, PE classes provide structure opportunities for children to engage in physical activity and exercise. Mm-hmm. Without adequate uh, for you know supervision for any hours, children have fewer chances to be physically active during the school day. 
And this obviously can result in a lower overall physical activity mm -hmm. level, uh, making it more challenging for them to burn their calories and maintain a healthy weight. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's not rocket science, Absolutely. right? Yeah. Uh, sedentary alternatives. Now, you know, instead of having PE, children may like uh, or may choose to spend their free time engaged in things like watching TV, mm -hmm. playing video, video games, games yeah. on their smartphones mm -hmm. and devices. And obviously, if you're sat down mm. doing these you know, pursuits or whatever you might call them, you're not burning off calories. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, um, you know, uh, when I was growing up, I used to see, you know, after after Asr prayer, which is a midday prayer, uh, I used to see the children, they're coming out uh, from their home and they used to get together and playing, you know, in, in the in the grounds. But now, if you if you where I belong to, if if you go there, uh, there's hardly anyone playing because yeah. they're you know all is all they are doing is busy on their phone playing video games and just you know watching TV. Well, that's uh, if they're in schools, <laughs> if they're not crumbling from you know the concrete. That, uh, but that's another that'll be yeah. a, a discussion for another pro yeah. program. And yeah, I totally agree with you there, mm. Imran. You know, in yeah, I'm a lot older than you. I'm mm. always pretty. 10, 15 years older than me, right? <laughs> so, yeah. you know, when I say back in my day, yeah. I'm looking at maybe 30-odd years ago. No, what am I talking about? 40-odd years okay. ago, right? You would be almost out, I mean, the whole day. Once mm. you finish school, you're out with your friends, running around, doing silly things, but mm. just running around, yeah. right? Yeah. And then, oh, you'd get hungry. Mm -hmm. And then you'd come home and you have a meal, Absolutely. right? Yeah. And it'd be ready. I mean, I was a bit different. Uh, I came from a, a restaurant background. Mm -hmm. So food was always readily available. Mm -hmm. um, it's just a case of you had to cook it yourself because, mm -hmm. you know, mum and dad were cooking for the customers, right? Mm -hmm. So when, uh, you know, with our guests, uh, Dr. Basma and Zanara, saying about meal prep, and right. I'm sure when you, when you, when you, kind of address this to people I say oh my god I'm so tired from work anyway mm. how can I think about prepping a week ahead uh -huh. but actually it's like anything in life if you it's all about time management mm. and it's quite fine I mean you say for instance you do work a nine-to-five job and you go to your job five days a week right already you have you work by a timetable mm -hmm. correct mm -hmm. So how much harder is it to say, right, okay, Monday, Tuesday, five days of the week, mm. we're going to cook and we're going to freeze it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you can do, you know, maybe pasta one night. You can, I, I always rotate it. I, I, t I give a, a choice uh, within our family because my wife cooks uh, southern curry. Mm -hmm. So she cooks maybe twice a week. Okay. So her curries will be twice a week. Mm -hmm. I'll cook the other three days mm -hmm. and then... You have a cheat days, right? On the yeah. weekends, you can have something like yeah. a like a KFC or a whatever you yeah. want, right? Yeah. But on my days, I'll be like saying to them, right, what, what protein do you want? Or do you want to have rice? Do you want to have pasta? Or mm. do you want to have potatoes? Okay. And then you just combine it with whatever. And the thing is, you you can prep your meals. And in doing that preparation, and it's actually about the planning of it, right? Mm. There's so many avenues and so many resources out there because we have the internet. Uh -huh. You know, the internet is only as good as how it's a tool at the end of the day. And right. it's how, you know, yes, there are uh, pitfalls to the internet, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, in the sense that, yes, you know, kids kind of like lose hours watching minus things on YouTube. But actually, you can go on YouTube and say, right, 
how do I prepare a quick pasta dish? Mm. And then you're going to get so many suggestions. So many things will pop up. How to do quick bolognese. How to do quick whatever. Mm -hmm. And you'll find, oh, everything actually, you know what? I could prepare this in half an hour. Okay, if it takes me half an hour to prepare it, mm. I can double the quantity of it. Yeah. Mm. We can have it one night, freeze it, have it next week. So there you go, right? Already you've had your preparation Absolutely. and you've got a meal for another night. Yeah. So that frees you up. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think one of the points which I was thinking uh, is that, you know, uh, teaching your children discipline, I think that can really help in mm -hmm. their life as well and also in their food intake. So uh, there's a very famous hadith of saying of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that uh, the best deeds are which that are doing uh, that one uh, do continuously whether uh, and they can be in small amount but one should mm -hmm. do continuously so i think this is referring to, uh, to to be a discipline in mm -hmm. your life so if you if children sorry if uh, if parents teach their children discipline in life uh, i think that's how you can not you know just just um, bringing them up in in the best manner possible but also uh, you know um, Uh, you know, teaching them that how one should, uh, you know, uh, mm. live in, the, in their life. So, but I would mm -hmm. counter, I wouldn't counter, but I would, you know, just go exactly with what mm. you're saying, mm. uh, teach, but also you have to lead by example because, yeah. like, you know, as, as youngsters, uh, well, not even youngsters, as infants, mm -hmm. right? Who are they going to mimic first and foremost? And parents. who are their role models first and foremost? It's the parents. parents. So if they see me, mm. Right, munching through a bucket of chicken yeah. five days a week, then that's what they think is the normal kind of thing. Absolutely. And I, I know at this age I couldn't have survived <laughs> munching through you know, five days worth of a uh, you know, bucket of chicken, uh -huh. although I might want to. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, the cholesterol would kill me by mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. But that's what I mean. So you need to actually uh, instill, not just teach, but just lead by example. example uh, and you know what? It's beneficial to yourself. You know, you find it like you're like saying, mm. to do your ibad, right? Mm. To do your rights unto your fellow human being mm. and to your rights unto you know, God Almighty, mm. right? Mm. Because there's countless hadith, yeah? Mm. The Holy Prophet has said, look, you know, we have to take care of our own health Absolutely. because you know there's no point in being an unhealthy mm. servant of god absolutely because yeah. you yourself are creating you know a, a strain on resources then mm. right mm. so i'm not saying that okay in a perfect and ideal world everyone would be healthy mm. you know people are born with uh, congenital Uh, diseases, Absolutely, right? Yeah. So mm. there's nothing they can do about mm. it. But mm. the, I'm, I'm talking about the normal distribution of you know the public. Mm -hmm. We are you know kind of like normally healthy, afflicted by the occasional you know illness. Mm -hmm. But in general, you know if you have a healthy diet, and I'm not talking about just eating lentils, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about just eating dal 24/7. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Although it's it's quite nice, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, But just having a balanced diet, having some cheat days, you know, it's it's actually it it, it benefits you yourself. Absolutely, there's a very famous uh, saying of the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, uh, which he told his follower about the benefit of sharing as opposed to overindulging in good things in life. He said, uh, he's not a believer. He's not a believer who eats to his full. Mm -hmm. but his neighbors goes without food yeah. and he used to eat enough to keep him going but 
not so much as to make him fat. Ibn Umar uh, narrated that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said that believers eat in one stomach whilst the infidels or non-believers eat in seven. So I think uh, the, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, saying that one one should take care of people who are, you know, uh, living uh, in, the, in, the, in the neighbors as well. So in this way, you can also take care of yourself and also uh, Allah's, God's creation. So he's saying he's not a believer who eats his full, but his neighbors goes without food. So I think uh, he's really stressing upon that, that one should also share his food. And that's how yeah, that's one way of, you know, um, uh, stay fit. And then he said that, um, one should eat uh, slowly and mm-hmm. be mindful. So these these are a couple of guidance which mm. Islam. And, and, and that's the thing, you know, all Islamic teachings are so in tune with our normal society of life, right? Absolutely. And that's the beauty of Islam that you know that there is. It's it's not as if you have to um, change yourself. It's not. It's it's the, the two things are, are completely in tune with each other, mm. really. Absolutely. And when we're talking about healthy, eating healthy, ultimately it is to eradicate this uh, you know, this, this this curse of childhood obesity because, you know, it's just going to lead to mm. um, an unhappy consequence later on in adult life. I mean, is there anything else we can say in conclusion to this? Absolutely. Yeah. I just wanted to quote uh, one beautiful verse of the Holy Quran. Yeah. O ye who believe, eat of the good things we have provided for you and render thanks to Allah if it is he whom you worship. So uh, eating of the good things which we ha- which we Allah Ta'ala has provided for you uh, and th- render thanking to Allah Ta'ala is I think um, uh, one should a believer or as a human being we should do mm-hmm. yeah. yeah exactly and in terms of that in concert with the religious side and the, the, the view from Islam I mean policies and interventions have to be um you know, have to be aimed at reducing poverty, improving access to healthy uh, health resources. I mean, these can make a significant impact in the fight against childhood obesity, uh, ensuring that all children have the opportunity to grow up healthy and thrive regardless of their socioeconomic status. And in the eyes of God, in through the lens of or the prism of Islam, there is no rich or poor, mm, right? Absolutely. You know, everyone is the same. We are only judged by one quality and one quality alone, and that is the quality of your righteousness, uh, uh, you know, beneath the eyes of Allah. But anyway, we're going to go to a short break. Uh, join us after the break. Uh, well, we're going to the 5 o'clock news. Join us after the 5 o'clock news where we'll be talking about the uh, a bloody Messiah.
You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Assalamualaikum. Peace and blessings to our listeners out there. Welcome back to Monday's edition of the Drive Time Show. You're here live with myself, Talib Man, and Imam Imran Akram. So we're going to go straight into our next uh, topic of the hour, Bloodthirsty Messiah. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, where most beliefs overlap is that their wait for the return of the Messiah, a savior who will revive their faith, whether it be Christianity or Islam, mm-hmm. and champion over all other faiths, bringing about an immediate law or immediate law and order into society. Now, unlike ever uh, seen before in religious history. Mm-hmm. This mirac- miraculous and unnatural victory will happen with uh, descents from the sky and almost, you know, Hollywood-like, you know, movie-like battles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what will be the choice given to people who stand in the way of the uh, Prophet Jesus, uh, may Allah be pleased with him, uh, as he takes to this holy war? Uh, Islam or death, basically. Mm-hmm. Sounds believable or unbelievable? I don't know. I mean, you know, call us on 0208-687-7878 or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK if you believe or you don't believe. Uh, I mean, you know, to be fair, this is um, actually disrespectful to the high status of uh, the Prophet Jesus and to the religion of Islam uh, per se. A religion is based on sense, science and rationality has now been twisted and manipulated as the majority of Muslims stray from the right path, uh, the true path. Mm-hmm. And the truth is Jesus has passed away, mm-hmm. uh, as all messengers before him, and will not be returning as it states in the Holy Quran. And how, where does that state Yeah, that absolutely. Quran? So in chapter 3, verse uh, 50, 56, Allah the Almighty says, O oh Jesus, indeed I will cause thee to die and exalt thee, to myself and will clear thee of the charges of those who disbelieve and will place those who follow thee above those who deny thee until the day of resurrection. In, in another verse of the Holy Quran, Allah the Almighty say, وَمَا مُحَمَّدْ إِلَّا رَسُولُ قَدْ خَلَتْ مِنْ قَبْلِهَا رَسُولُ That Muhammad is only a messenger. Verily, all prophets, all messengers have passed away before him. If he then dies or be slain, will you turn your back on your Heels. So um, I think uh, I think you introduced this topic very well. That mm. you know, mainstream Sunni Muslim they believe on the bloodthirsty or uh, the second coming of Messiah as mm. a bloodthirsty. But it's not mm. just Sunnis, right? Oh, yeah, 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 of course, Christianity, Christianity as well. As right? as well. Yeah. So it, there is this 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 theory that the coming of the second Messiah will bring with this 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 bloodbath mm-hmm. basically mm-hmm. right whereby all you either believe or you you're you're put to the sword Absolutely. right actually Jews also believe in the, in the, the in, uh, that he's going to be a messiah and he's going to wage a war yeah. so they also believe so, so, I think so, the, so yeah so yeah. in all the main religions religion, right yeah. you have this and yeah that's you you can understand well how is that because that is the antithesis of all these mainline religions mm-hmm. what they've professed before Absolutely. and you know to say that okay look Come on, yeah. Has there been someone who has died and been resurrected in the history of man? Mm-hmm. I'm just asking. Yeah. Right? I'm putting it out there. Mm-hmm. Because would that not... And I'm not saying, you know, contradicting God, mm-hmm. right? Because God is all omnipotent, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. He can choose to do that. 
Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. You can choose to resurrect mm. because he is omnipotent. We are but his creation. Mm. Okay. But I don't know. I mean, I've looked, right? I've mm-hmm. Googled it. Mm-hmm. There hasn't been, right? Mm. God has not actually um, resurrected, whether it be a prophet, mm-hmm. right, or mm. anyone else from death. Absolutely. Absolutely. As you know, the Holy Quran clearly states that. All messenger before the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, uh, they died. And, uh, uh, you know, this clearly shows that, you know, uh, the, the Jesus, which uh, a Sunni Muslim refers, is not going to come back. But the, but on the name of the Jesus, some will, one will come mm-hmm. in the later days. And we believe that he's a promised Messiah. Yeah, it's, like, it's, a, it's a metaphor, yeah. right? So, but anyway, to speak more about this, we're joined by, uh, from uh, Canada, Imam Fahan Iqbal. Uh, Asalaamu Alaikum, peace and blessings be upon you, Imam uh, Fahan. Thank you for joining us on the Drive Time Show. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you for having me. So uh, we're talking about this concept of a bloody or, yes, a bloodthirsty, I should say, uh, Messiah. Uh, I mean, if the Quran clearly, I mean, when we've stated it in uh, verse um, verse 3, sorry, chapter 3, verse 56, that Jesus was to pass away. And then why is there so much confusion about the status of Jesus then? Well, it's a, it's a question of history. It's a question of how beliefs uh, develop uh, in both Christianity and, and Islam. So Christianity has a 2,000-year history. Islam has a 1,500-year history. Mm-hmm. So uh, these are concepts that developed over time. And one, uh, one uh, aspect of this history that, that uh, addresses your question is that in the Christian thought, uh, in the Christian, uh, you know, development of ideas about Jesus, especially we have a group among the Christians that developed in the early days of Christianity, which is Gnostic Christianity. So they have this idea that uh, Jesus was not really human, and he only appeared to be human, and he was just spiritual, right? He was just a spiritual being. Mm-hmm. And, and this idea uh, caused them to come up with the, you know, uh, you can say an early version of the substitution theory uh, that wasn't really Jesus who was on the cross, it was someone else, right? And this is an idea that some Muslim uh, commentators uh, of the Quran eventually adopted, and some Muslim thinkers eventually adopted that it was someone else, it wasn't really Jesus. And, and so, you know, this is part of the reason why there is confusion, but if, if you look at the Quran itself uh, as a Muslim, it's very clear, as, as the verse was just read out a, few, a couple of minutes ago, chapter 3, verse 56, Allah is clearly mm-hmm. saying, So Jesus Christ has died. It's very, very clear, very crystal clear that he has passed away, uh, and it was his soul, it was his spirit that was headed up to God uh, and, and wasn't his physical body. So, so if you stick to, to the Quran itself, it's very clear. Uh, the confusion comes from other people, from other ideas, uh, you know, some Christian ideas, some Gnostic ideas that translated into Islamic thought over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Imam Farhan, you know, uh, both faiths are, you know, awaiting a climatic battle when Jesus returned from the skies. If God is almighty, why do Muslims believe in this, you know, this will not happen? 
sorry what will not happen uh, i mean uh, all the you know um, mainstream religion islam and christianity they believe that when jesus christ will come uh, in in the second coming he will wage a war uh, you know uh, uh, so if allah taala is allah jalla is almighty then why the muslim believe mm. why is there need yeah, for this battle yeah. oh, oh there's need for a battle you're yeah. referring to uh, latter day battle okay uh, well uh, you know uh, it is something that again is it, you know i can't speak for other muslims why why they have certain concepts but uh, when 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 we turn to the quran and we, even when we turn to the new testament the gospels of the bible uh there's no concept of jesus actually going up to the sky right mm-hmm. uh, so so we we already talked about the verse of the quran uh which which clearly states it but even when you look at the new testament even when you when you look at the gospels you know practically none of the gospels talk about jesus actually going up to heaven mm-hmm. so so the gospel of mark does not even mention this it only alludes to it the gospel of uh, Matthew and John also just allude to it so it is only the gospel of Luke which which says that Jesus was carried up to heaven however as scholars now say that the earliest versions of of Luke that we do have do not have the word carried up into heaven so practically none of the gospels actually state that Jesus went up to heaven and mm-hmm. like i said it's it's a concept that developed over time it's a concept that that uh, evolved mm-hmm. and people started saying that Jesus is in heaven and then somebody said he went up to heaven and then it just kind of uh, snowballed so to speak uh, historically speaking and eventually this idea of developed Jesus into heaven and then there will be a, an armageddon and then he will come back right so there were some prophecies of Jesus where he says that he, he would come back and this was turned into uh, a very big concept uh, again there was a lot of history there was a lot of evolution and this eventually translated into Muslim thought as well right mm-hmm. Muslims do believe that in the, in in the coming of of a messiah uh, who is similar to uh, the m- messiah of the Jews but these are ideas that are that are you know based on a lot of interpretation of a lot of prophecies and mm. if you look at the Quran if you look at the what the Quran is actually saying you would be saved from uh, from some of these ideas or some of these interpretations. Hmm. So, uh, Imam Fahad, in that respect, I mean, uh, we as Amdi Muslims, yeah, um, I mean, how can we prove that His Holiness, Hazrat uh, Mirza Ghulam Ahmad, is actually the long-awaited Messiah uh, in t- in in terms of you know what these mainline religions believe is the second coming? Yeah so 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 we uh you know and this ties into our previous question as well right mm-hmm. that that we were discussing that when it comes to you know why do muslims believe this and why do amadis believe in hazrat muhammad ghulam ahmed and how do i if i if i if i'm not uh if i if i'm someone who is trying to understand these concepts uh, clearly and with, with sincerity you know how do i do all this research mm-hmm. so the answer to that question is that you have to go back to the quran right as i've stated over and over in all the questions you've asked me uh you have to go back to the quran for instance the quran says in chapter 10 verse 17 it's on rajeen faqad labistu fikum umran min qabli afala taqinu it means i have indeed lived among you a whole lifetime before this will you not then understand 
So the Quran is giving us this principle that in order to judge the truthfulness of a prophet, in order to judge the truthfulness of a Messiah, you have to see what kind of life they live. And similarly, the Quran gives us a lot of verses that tell us how to judge the truthfulness of a prophet. So if you want to judge the truthfulness of Hazrat Muzaffar Ahmad, you have to again go back to the Quran and see what it is telling us, what it is teaching us on how to judge Hazrat Muzaffar Ahmad and how to judge the promised Messiah on his truth. Look at a prophecy. So there are prophecies in the in the Bible about the return of Jesus. Uh, there, are, there are prophecies in the Quran, there are prophecies in the Ahadith, there are signs in the Ahadith which tell us where the Messiah will come, when he will come, uh, what he will look like, what country he will be in, even there is a reference to, uh, which is a, 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 a reference to Qadian, mm-hmm. which tells the place of his coming. So it, there are signs of the time of his coming, the place of his coming, his condition, his characteristics. A lot of these signs are there. And one of the most important ones is a sign of the eclipses. Mm-hmm. That at his time, you will have the lunar and, and a solar eclipse in the month of Ramadan. So we have so many signs. So, so start with the Quran and look at all these signs that were shown at mm. the time. But then, okay. Yeah, so then, you know, um, if that is the case, and you know, we truly believe that is the mm. case, uh, being part of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, why is it so hard to, you know, um, as a non-Amdi uh, Muslim, to believe that then? Because, you know, it just seems counterintuitive to me if you yourself are a Muslim whether you be a Shia or Sunni and you believe in the Quran because that is your holy book and you know these signs and the the indications within uh, the verses of the holy Quran then you know why do you not accept the truth I, I believe that usually there are actually external factors that influence how you think. So, you are turning to scholars who might teach something about the Ahmadiyya Muslim community that's not true. Mm-hmm. You, are, you might have come across propaganda. Like, like it's the same thing, and I, and I want to answer, like, I, I had a friend many, many years ago in school who stopped talking to me because, and, 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 and I, I was wondering why he stopped talking to me, and, and, and it turned out that he had found out that I'm an Ahmadiyya Muslim. Mm-hmm. So, I had this the last conversation I had was with his father, and he said, well, I, I don't like you guys because you guys believe that there is a heaven in, in Rabwa. <laughs> and <laughs> that was the strangest thing to me, right? Because it tells, and, and he hung up the phone, I, he didn't let me explain. So th- that was the strangest thing to me, that, that, that people have these weird concepts about Amity Muslims. <laughs> you, have, you have to, uh, you have to <laughs> look through the fog of... <laughs> But I suppose, you know, Imam uh, Fahania, it's so hard when, I suppose, you've been brought up in a household which has been taught these, um, let's say, traditions Mm -hmm. uh, regarding Ahmadiyyat. um, And then for you to, I suppose, you know, just, you know, relinquish those views that were held by your your parents and your relatives, right? It is very hard. Um, But, you know, we pray for them, really. 
uh, it's it's uh, and with that, you know, it's it's been a pleasure talking to you, uh, Imam Farhan. Thank you very much for joining us on the Drive Time Show this afternoon. Thank you. Have a good day. O two o eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK if you want to join in this discussion. We'll go straight to our next guest, a uh, previous co-host to the morning uh, to the uh, Monday Drive Time Show. Uh, he's now Imam in Stevenage. Uh, Imam Tahe Halid. It's always a pleasure, never a chore, to speak to you. So, quite a contentious uh, topic we've got today. Um, yeah. The blood, uh, a bloodthirsty Messiah. I mean, you know, we we're speaking to uh, Imam Fahan about this previously. So, yeah, mainstream Muslims and Christians both believe, or both agree, okay, that Jesus was raised to the heavens. So, why do Amdi Muslims say that he survived the cross. So, there are a number of ways to answer this, but very uh, briefly, in the Holy Quran, Allah the Almighty states very clearly that uh, that Jesus had, was caused to die, and the word was inni mutawafika. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am causing you to. I will cause you to die. Um, and then there are other verses as well, uh, which talk again about um, um, of the, the death of Jesus. That they tried to, they tried that the Jews had made a plan to try uh, and, and put him on the cross and kill him, but Allah, but Allah saved him, and he, he didn't die on the cross. Um, that they didn't put him, they didn't kill him on the cross they didn't kill him as such um mm-hmm. so these verses other verses as well for example Allah the Almighty states to the holy prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him um Muhammadun illa rasul qad khalat min rasul that Muhammad peace and blessings of Allah be upon him is just a messenger of Allah mm-hmm. all prophets before him have passed away so if we look at this and we look at the, the if you have to look at the whole picture together mm-hmm. and if you look at there are over there are around 30 verses which prove that Jesus has passed away right mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. so if, if there there obviously the, the difficult the difficulty which our non ahmadi brothers and sisters face is that they are they need to the 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 onus is on them to prove that Jesus is alive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To prove from one verse that Jesus is alive and that Jesus is in the heavens, as they say. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. they can't provide one 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 uh, one reference. So this is why we believe that the Quran very clearly states that the that has a that has a messiah uh, has a nasri. Uh, Prophet Jesus, son of Mary, salam, has passed away, uh, a natural death. He, they didn't kill him, nor was he killed on the cross, nor he, was he crucified on the cross, but he died a natural death. Right. So, Imam um, Tahir, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Now, uh, you know, we believe, you know, especially the all of the um, Muslim except, you know, Ahmadis, um, that uh, the second coming of the um, Messiah is going to be bloodthirsty. 
on one hand they believe they they claim themselves are muslim and muslim means you know peace and submission to the will of god and and on the other hand they also believe that there is going to be a messiah is going to be a bloodthirsty and and who is going to kill everyone uh, who doesn't believe in him so why there's a, const- a contradiction in their statement first and that secondly uh, is there any ground or or you know base they have for these kind of arguments is there any hadith which says that it's going to be you know wage war the second coming of jesus so there there are narrations of the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him uh, which talk about the signs of the messiah to come mm-hmm. um, where he says that he will break the cross he will kill the swine um and and he will end war mm-hmm. um Uh, in, 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 in other cases where there will be war with the disbelievers um, so th- these these are m- metaphorical this is a metaphorical language which the holy prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him has used mm-hmm. to to explain um, the task of the messiah okay when he states that he will break the swine uh, break the cross Mm-hmm. this refers to him uh, destroying the the false doctrines and beliefs of christianity where they believed jesus was put onto the cross killed onto the cross raised up into heaven came back uh, uh, after he died he was raised up again and then he ascended into the heavens uh, and their belief is based on the 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 trinity uh, uh, and all of them are the uh, majority of the christians around the world are wearing a cross they would have that or on their uh, um, on on chains and necklaces mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and people have taken this literally okay. that the messiah will come and literally break all of these crosses mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i mean uh, a person who goes to someone let's say your neighbor wears a cross is a christian and he wears a cross uh, he or she is wearing a cross you go to him the messiah is supposed to go to them and he sees that they're wearing the cross he's going to grab it off their neck <laughs> and uh, and break it yeah they're going to make new <laughs> crosses yeah they're going to call the police and the next day the next moment is there the the messiah is in in prison so i mean they they've taken it to they've made things which which um they've misinterpreted mm-hmm. the the message behind the the these narrations again mm-hmm. with the with the killing of the swine mm-hmm. you're going to go to one farm where there's a few pigs and they they're giving birth every few months to to more piglets right. um you're going to be killing all of them on the other in a, in a farm a few miles away there's uh, so many <laughs> other pigs but on the other on the other It'll side, be pig side. Of the <laughs> i don't know yeah. what you call the genocide of pigs but pig <laughs> side i suppose and on the other side of the world there's thousands of pigs being born mm. so how how are you supposed to go about trying to kill and and again the the owner of the farm is you think he's going to let you go into walk onto the onto the farm and just start killing the pigs mm-hmm. and exactly. you can't say I'm the sire I'm supposed to kill the pigs mm-hmm. that doesn't work they think he's going to send you straight to prison again <laughs> <laughs> yeah but you see so so why is it then right uh, imam tahir that you, you know because you know, we live in a tangible world right where we can see things and it's it's hard to comprehend the uh intangible things and what i mean by that is that you know i think uh, imam uh imran was like alluding to this that why is there this attraction not just within the muslim world the muslim community right the muslim ummah but all the mainline religions that 
there is a this this counterpoint, this 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 attraction to this uh, contradiction in terms because you know previously we were talking about look history would have it right two thousand years of Christianity. 1400 years of uh, of Islamic history right brings us to the point today whereby all those previous teachings were about peace loving your your neighbor uh, you know your service to humanity your worship to God and then suddenly no we're gonna count yeah we're gonna turn this whole thing upside down if you don't believe, then you will be slaughtered. I mean, what is that attraction then? What, what you know? Why do people believe this this kind of um, drivel? I can say just drivel. I, from our understanding, is because they've falsely misinterpreted these narrations, some references um, from the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Uh, and and other scholars, and they've they failed to recognize the truth behind them. This is why it was extremely important that we understand what the concept of prophethood is, mm-hmm. what the concept mm-hmm. of continued guidance is. Mm-hmm. Because without a teacher, what's going to happen? The class, the children in the class, they're going to go crazy. They're going to be doing whatever they want. Mm. And they'll be mostly raiding pig farms. Exactly. This was the case of the world when there was a need for a teacher. Mm-hmm. When the Holy Prophet had prophesied a teacher in the form of a Messiah who will be a prophet, the second coming of Jesus, he will come, he will revive Islam. Mm. And the world being the students in need of that physical, spiritual teacher, they were some, those who accepted him, they were guided. Mm-hmm. Those who mm. failed to accept him, they're still want, running around aimlessly and they're, they're listening to such scholar, such person. They've interpreted it in a certain place, in a certain way. Another scholar's interpreted something in another way. Cherry picking, cherry picking different verses, cherry picking different narrations and, and making their, their own beliefs and doctrines of what Islam teaches. Mm. So, mm. so what you're saying is that uh, you know, they, they are taking verses and... Uh, uh, hadith, you know, traditions of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, uh, out of context. Yeah. Right. I mean, so, the, the Promised Messiah has, the Promised Messiah has spoken about this when it comes to, uh, to a, a bloodthirsty Messiah. And he says in one of his books um, that uh, then he, he writes, then converting his functions from their metaphorical description into physical activities, they allege that he will break crosses and slaughter swine. They do not expect what he will gain by breaking crosses. Hmm. Even if he broke one or two million crosses, would the Christians who are devoted to the worship of the cross not make new ones in place of the broken ones? If the slaughtering of swine is also to be taken literally, would the principal occupation of the Messiah be that of hunting swine with a pack of dogs? Hmm. If that is so, it will be a great day for Sikhs and for uh, and some nomadic tribes like the Shamas, Sansis, Gondelas, etc., who are fond of hunting swine. <laughs> but the activity of his will not in any way benefit the Christians mm. who are already very skillful in hunting swine. <laughs> there are up to a thousand shops in London that sell the flesh of swine, and up mm. to 25,000 pigs are daily sent to the outlying areas of the city for slaughter. The question is, 
Is it worthy of a prophet who has appeared to, for the reform of mankind to waste his time hunting pig, a disgusting animal, while even touching the pigs, the pig is a grave sin according to the Torah? Hmm. A question also arises that while hunting is a hobby of the idol, if the Messiah is still to be so fond of hunting, of hunting, is there any dearth of such good animals as deer, caribou, rabbits, etc., that he should soil his hands with the blood of such a foul animal? Mm. So he's mm. explained this, that they're taking this the wrong way. They've mm. pictured the Messiah uh, in a completely different form. Mm. Um, and and so and, and then the other side of this is that they don't accept that it will be a new Messiah. They accept that it will be uh, the the same Jesus of Nazareth, mm. uh, and they believe he's been alive for what over two thousand years. Um, whereas the Quran clearly states we've not made anybody any human being who can live without food or drink or water. Mm. Um, and, and and so he will come. Uh, the Quran also categorically states that Rasul and Ilah Bani Israel. Right. That he was, he was a prophet sent for for Bani Israel for the Jews, but they say he will come and he will not be in a form of a prophet as such, but he will become into a new prophethood, uh, following the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, uh, and then again that will break the 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 seal of prophethood. So there there's so many contradictions which they made themselves. They don't understand the concept of seal of prophethood. Mm. They don't understand the the the, the concept of the Messiah coming to revive Islam, to bring back the true teachings of Islam. But, the then, but, of but Islam. then, you know, Imam Tahir, you know, we in the community, our motto is love for all, hatred for none. Uh, and this uh, motto extends itself beyond religious boundaries, you know, to all uh, humanity, right? So how can we implore, you know, these... Um, What's the word? Misled, mm -hmm. uh, misle misguided. Mm -hmm. Okay, misguided individuals. How can we, you know, convince them of the truth? I mean, can we? Is it possible? I uh, so so. One thing, of course, is is prayers. Mm -hmm. uh, we can pray for those, but prayers on its own isn't enough. Right. You need to do physical uh, work as well. You need to put yeah. effort in. Yeah. You need to struggle. You need to go out and spread send, send, uh, spread the message. Mm -hmm. Show the world that the Messiah has come. Hmm. Um, and so we, we're seeing nowadays, for example, on social media, there's a, there's, there's a lot of uh, commotion mm -hmm. with regard to people wanting to debate Ahmadis. Uh, every few days there's a live stream going on hmm. and they're calling uh, our, our Ahmadi scholars are going on and answering all of their questions. Hmm. But, but, then, but then they counter the, your question, the, you know, the questions are not being answered um, satisfactorily. See, this is, this is when, when someone wants to be guided mm -hmm. and seeks guidance with, with a clear intention of being neutral in their heart and maybe and thinking that okay, maybe I might not be on the right path. Maybe I've got uh, uh, I've not understood Islam correctly, mm. and so I'll listen to what they have to say and I'll pray at the same time, mm -hmm. and Allah will guide me. It's a bit like Brexit. But, exactly. <laughs> if, 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 and, and if they if they if that is their intention that they want to seek guidance, that they want to do what mm. is right and they want to please Allah, Allah will guide them. But if mm. their intention is 
to just stir up more arguments, raise more allegations, go from one allegation to the next, while not even understanding the, the concept behind, for example, prophecies, for example, uh, some of the writings of what uh, the Promised Messiah, peace be upon him, has written. I mean, we then, haven't even touched upon jihad, really. Hmm. Exactly. See, and I, 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 I mean, just for our listeners out there, and hopefully our non uh, Amadi Muslim listeners out there, I'm sure there are a few. I mean, you know, the Promised Messiah, may Allah be pleased with him, had the concept of the jihad of the pen, hmm. right? So, just briefly, you know, uh, in the time that we're allotted, which is a lot for you, what does that mean? Or what does that mean? So, the, very briefly, the Promised Messiah, the Holy Prophet, has said that, this, the, that the war will be abolished. Yeah, mm-hmm. It will be cancelled. Um, so, if we look at the word jihad, it means to struggle. In the Quran, there, there, are, a number of, there are numerous ways of what uh, explanations and in the ahadith of what jihad means, what jihad is. For example, uh, jihad is sughir, for example, is known as the battles, the physical battles which took place mm-hmm. in the time of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of, the, uh, of Allah be upon him. Um, these are known as the lesser jihad, or the lowest form of jihad. Uh, and then in the Quran, it talks about wajahid bihi jihad al-kabira. And can you do jihad with bihi, meaning and this reference is it, the, the the abbreviation is referring to the Holy Quran mm-hmm. to to struggle and put effort into understanding the Quran and spread, spreading the message of of the Quran. Uh, and then another form of the greatest jihad, jihad Akbar, is known as the jihad of the soul, mm-hmm. to, to the jihad of a person who struggles every single day to try and be a good person, but he still fails or he 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 sees weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And every single day he's going through that struggle, that continuous effort to try and be a better person, to try and please Allah. Be he with the Quran, mm-hmm. through the guidance of what the Quran teaches, to, 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 to seek the pleasure of Allah the Almighty, mm-hmm. to serve humanity, to serve mankind. To, to uh, so many things which the Quran talks about. I mean, we can go on forever and ever, but this is what the jihad refers to. But... The, the Promised Messiah, he has come to do jihad of the pen. Whereas in the time of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon uh, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, there was the jihad of the sword, where physically you were attacked with the sword. People would come to you with the sword and kill you. They would mm-hmm. attack you and shoot and kill you. But in this day and age, as such, Muslims aren't being attacked by the sword. Mm-hmm. Muslims are being, Islam is being attacked by people writing books against Islam, writing columns and articles against Islam, mm-hmm. going on social media and writing tweets and whatnot, articles and, uh, and so many things about Islam. The jihad of the pen is to write back, defend Islam in the way they are attacking us. Mm-hmm. If they are writing false things about Islam, if they are attacking Islam, if they are attacking the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, then go back and, and defend Islam in the same way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Go out and write, write in, in, to save Islam, to protect Islam. When in the time of the Promised Messiah, when, when, the, when the Hindus and the other religions uh, at that time who were extreme, extreme uh, enemies of Islam at that time. I'm not saying that Hindus are enemies. I mean, nowadays we see many 
in all religions, they're, they're, they're very good, very pious, very kind and caring, compassionate people. But in, that, in those days, uh, as we see in all faiths, there are some who are very extreme mm-hmm. and there are some who are very kind, very good-natured. Mm-hmm. But in the time of the Promised Messiah, many people were, there were some who were great opponents and enemies of Islam. And they would write so many things and attack Islam. Uh, and, and, and try to disgrace Islam and the name of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Mm-hmm. So, there were people, there were Muslims were trying to call out for someone. This was before the claim of the Promised Messiah. He would, of him being the Messiah, he would, people, Muslims were trying to find a savior. Mm-hmm. Someone who could defend Islam, someone who can be the champion of Islam and defend these attacks which the, the, that are coming on Islam. But no one was able to stand up. It was only Hazrat Mizza Ghulam Ahmad of Qadian who wrote in defense of Islam. And mm. the same people who later said that he's, uh, he's, uh, he's, he's left Islam, in the beginning when he defended Islam, they said he's the champion of Islam. <laughs> he's the greatest defender of Islam in this era. Mm. So, so but all, all history and religion has seen hypocrites. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. I think uh, Imam Imran's got a, a question for you, Ty. Uh, Imam um, Tahir, is one big allegation against the Ahmadi Muslim is that uh, all of the Muslim they, they claim that they, you know, they take the verses of the Holy Quran, Hadith, they take their meaning literally, and God forbid you Ahmadis, they you take everything metaphorically, and uh, this is uh, like they're saying that you distorted the meaning of the Holy Quran and Hadith. So how can you make them understand that? Uh, you cannot take everything literally, especially when talking about the religious texts. So, the this is a, this is a, this is a deep question, um, and will require a bit of time. But very very briefly, mm-hmm. the Quran tells us many things. There are around seven hundred injunctions and commandments of the Holy Quran, mm-hmm. um, where it's with regards to praying. Um, with with regards to giving zakat, being charitable, um, the, the the rights of a husband and wife, the rights of parents, looking after uh, kindred, uh, uh, looking after. I mean, there's so many different uh, injunctions and yeah, guidance. All aspects of life, really. Aspects of life. There's nothing which the Quran has left out, but the Quran also says very beautifully that seek seek help and seek. The, see the role model of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. If you want clarification on certain things, then see what the Prophet has, is teaching you. Mm-hmm. Go to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. And he, from his example, explained things. Explained through his sunnah, explained through and the narrations which were collected. It shows what he did, how he interpreted certain things. Right? For example, uh, and we're talking about the Messiah, we're talking about this. When when the verses of Surah Jummah were revealed, yeah? mm-hmm. the, the verses are He it is who has sent the unlettered prophet, uh, sent a prophet to the unlettered people, um, uh, who will recite upon them the, the signs, mm-hmm. um, the, the verses of, of God, um, and He will purify them, uh, and He will teach them the book and wisdom. Right. 
Right. And before this, they were in manifest misguidance. Mm-hmm. This is the verse. Mm-hmm. The very next verse says, وَآخَرِينَ مِنْهُمْ لَمَّا يَلْحَقُوا بِهِمْ And again, to the latter-day people who have not yet met them. So, uh, so when this verse was revealed, the companions were asking, they took it literally. And they said, O Prophet of Allah, who are these people to whom you will be sent again? Mm-hmm. They literally thought that the Prophet, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, will literally be sent again. Mm-hmm. They said, who are these people? Huh? And the Holy Prophet put his hand on the shoulder of Salman Farsi, the only Persian companion mm-hmm. of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and said, when faith goes to the Pleiades, mm-hmm. <coughs> that when faith goes to Pleiades, the furthest star in our galaxy, a man from his descent, from his uh, from from uh, the, from a Persian descent, will bring faith back. Mm. So the the companions literally took it to mean that the Holy Prophet will come back. But he mm. he himself understood it in a metaphorical sense that faith will go up, not literally that people will, in, in not in the sense that people will um, the, the faith will go to the Pleiades. It meant that people will, will lose the touch of, their, of what their faith teaches them. They'll forget their teachings. They'll forget what Islam teaches them. And it says uh, that a man will bring it back. Did he go to the, to the, to the Pleiades to bring it back? No, it was, it, it was a metaphorical understanding. That, uh, there was a literary understanding of it, that the faith, people will lose their spirituality. People will turn away from God. They'll be distant from their faith. And a man will bring it back. He won't go in a, in a, in a rocket mm-hmm. up to the Pleiades and bring it back. But he will revive that faith, mm-hmm. which was lost. And I think, so and I think the thing is with that uh, Imam Tahir is that, the, the, I suppose, just mixing of a literal and metaphor. You know, you have to take everything with common sense. Mm. And that's something which is the beauty of Islam. Uh, is that you know we were talking about it earlier on in the uh, in the program in a different segment that you know Islam preaches the middle path and is to actually take everything with you know that equal regard right and not to take things too literally but also not to go overboard with metaphor as well but yeah. uh, as always I, I so, sorry I know, I know I'm probably running over but just very quickly, I, mean, I mean the the the, the holy prophet I spoke about the uh, the Antichrist will come, he will have a donkey, mm-hmm. uh, and then he'll put fi- the, the fire will go inside into the donkey, and the donkey will will go from one, his foot will, will leave one place and land in another place. Mm-hmm. People will be sitting inside the donkey, uh, the donkey will be stopping at certain places, and people will be coming off and coming on. So this is, again, uh, this refers to, this is a metaphorical language. Right, right. Uh, the Holy Prophet has explained that at that time, the, the, these these superpowers will be creating uh, and making the modern day transport. But he mm-hmm. used the, the language. He explained mm-hmm. it as a donkey. Because they, how can you explain an airplane to to people who are unlettered, who haven't seen a plane before? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, the, a, a train or a car. How uh, an engine would work? Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to. He described it in a in in a in layman's terms, I suppose. Exactly, in mm. layman's terms, very simple terms, so that they could understand. Mm. But mm. in our day, people are expecting a man to come who would call himself the Antichrist, call himself the Dajjal, he would have three letters on his forehead, 
uh, mm. the kafara on his forehead on his forehead mm. his one eye will be blind he'll be blind from one eye and he'll be very strong from the other eye uh, and he'll be going around with a donkey <laughs> uh, <laughs> and on that so, note i think and on that note you yeah. know imam tahir always a pleasure never a choice it's been a, a pleasure speaking to you this afternoon on Thank the drive time show. Thank you so much. Wa alaikum salam. 0208-687-7878 or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. We're going to go to our uh, third and final guest of the uh, segment, Imam Shamil Ahmed. Uh, Assalamu alaikum. Peace and blessings be upon you, Imam uh, Shamil. Thank you for joining us on the drive time show. Uh, Wa alaikum salam. It's a pleasure to be on as always. Um, well, <laughs> we'll soon see. So we're talking about, you know, this 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 bloodthirsty Messiah. I mean, yeah. just briefly, can you describe the model of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, when it came to how he spread Islam? Was it, you know, as a bloodthirsty kind of way? Yeah. So of course. Um, the answer is no, it wasn't in the bloodthirsty method at all. Mm-hmm. Um, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, uh, he would always spread Islam in the most peaceful method possible. His main, his main goal, his main concern was just to get the message across to the people and that people uh, would embrace Islam as Allah the Almighty commanded him. There was no form of compulsion, there was no form of force uh, which the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, used to the people of Mecca, to the people of, the, uh, of Arabia. It was all peaceful terms. It was all with, uh, you know, the beautiful teachings of the Holy Quran and everything which God instructed him to do. That is exactly what he did. Mm-hmm. He was so concerned. You know, what, what's astonishing is that he was so concerned about people not accepting Islam, uh, Islam and not accepting him uh, as the messenger and people not turning towards Allah the Almighty that Allah the Almighty had to tell him that, look, your only job is balli, your only job is to spread, yeah, your convey only the message. job is to preach, to mm-hmm. convey the message, exactly. Is not to, whether they accept or not, that is between them and Allah the Almighty. Your job is only to get that message across. And, you know, coming back to a bit of that bloodthirsty side, um, there's that allegation, there's that, um, you know, accusation on Islam that Islam was spread through the sword, and that is that is completely false. If you look um, at uh, the time where battles were taking place in the history of Islam, and you look at the time where battles weren't taking place, the amount of people that joined the fold of Islam uh, in the terms of peace and in the terms in the eras of peace and tranquility is is far beyond the amount of people that joined during the time of battle mm-hmm. and war, which is, uh, if you look at the book of uh, the uh, the seal of the, uh, the life and character of the seal of the prophets written by Hazrat Mizza Bashir Ahmed Amemi, uh, Allah be pleased with him. He, in, in the second volume of that book, he does a complete, uh, you know, calculation of how many people join uh, in terms of ratio mm-hmm. compared to the amount of people that joined during the times of battle. So the, it was always in the means of peace and tranquility and trying to get mm-hmm. that message across through the best way possible. Yeah. So, uh, so Imam Shamal, one of the arguments against the you know Ahmadi Muslim community is that, you know, if uh, you know we are on the right path, then why is it that you know the word uh, hasn't accepted the promised Messiah as you know as some Sunnis refer or some other other uh, Muslim other than you know Ahmadis that why does not all the people have accepted the promised Messiah Islam instant instantly? So in in regards to that, you you just have to look at uh, you know the history of all the prophets, mm-hmm. right? 
every prophet that comes to this world that is sent by Allah the Almighty, have you ever seen the whole community that everyone in the whole world unanimously just agrees and accepts and follows that prophet? No, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. It's a slow progression. And right. the same can be said about the Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. We consider him to be the greatest of all prophets. Mm-hmm. And every Muslim will testify to this. And even these Muslims that are making such allegations of why hasn't the whole world accepted Ahmadiyyat, we can say the same thing about Islam. Has the whole world accepted Islam despite the greatest of all prophets, the Khatim al-Anbiya, the, the master of all prophets, the lord of all the prophets, has everyone accepted him? No. So the same can be said about Islam, Ahmadiyyat. What this is referring to, the fact that will everyone accept Islam, uh, Ahmadiyyat, till, you know, uh, and, uh, until the world ends or till the day of judgment. It just, the whole prophecy, the whole part of this is the fact that we need to understand that there will be all types of people in the world at all times. There will be mm-hmm. Christians, there will be Jews, and the Quran testifies to this. The mm-hmm. Quran testifies to the fact that there will be Jews and Christians till the Day of Judgment. So who are we to say that every single person will accept Ahmadiyyat, will accept Islam? The matter alludes to the fact that, you know, Islam, Ahmadiyyat will be spread manyfold. It will be spread to the corners of the world as promised to the promised Messiah by Allah the Almighty. And inshallah, one day the whole world will recognize Ahmadiyyat as uh, as a uh, as a faith, as a religion. Right now, we are still declared as uh, you know disbelievers and kafirs in many countries, and we are, we face tons of persecution day in and day out. However, the fact the fact of the matter is that one day it will be recognised as a greater. There will be a majority of people who will actually come to the fold of Ahmadiyya, and it's not such a thing which will happen overnight. Hmm. It happens a slow progression. Uh, people slowly join, and you can see year by year at the annual convention. Uh, of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, we see the numbers of people that join every single year. Ahmadiyya is the fastest growing sect in the world. Mm-hmm. Islam is the fastest growing religion. And Allah the Almighty says in the Holy Quran, the that Allah has decreed, most surely I will prevail and my messengers. So it doesn't mean that every single person, every Tom, Dick and Harry will come to the fold of uh, Ahmadiyya. However, it means that there will be a majority, slow progression, slow progression. I mean, this community started in a small village in India, in Guardian, with a handful of people. Mm-hmm. And only a handful of people accepted at the beginning. And slowly, 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 we are in the hundreds of thousands, and we are in, you know, over 200 countries. We, are, uh, we have people that have joined the Ahmadiyya fold. And that is, that is what, tru- what it truly means, that slow, mm-hmm. slow progression will lead to the inevitable end that the majority of people will actually come to yeah, the Ahmadiyya, mm. inshallah. I mean, I suppose, uh, Imam uh, Shamil, that if we look at uh, analogies through religious history and you know, a lot of these prophecies uh, of the bloody Messiah are based around yeah. uh, Hazrat Jesus, uh, may Allah be yeah. pleased with him, his lifetime. and it, But then, you know, if we look at the history and the lifetime of uh, the Prophet Jesus, may Allah be pleased with him, didn't he also face um, con- uh, face abuse, face uh, contradiction from his own brethren? Was yeah. he not cast yeah. uh, aside? Was he not placed upon the cross by his own? Absolutely. Right? So, yeah, we see. So that's, I think that's where we find that it's hard to comprehend when you don't 
grasp of faith. Uh, and so, you know, when we have been blessed with Ahmadiyyat and our, um, actually, I was just about to say our version of Islam, but it's not a version of Islam, it's just Islam yeah, it's to me, it's, right? Yeah. It, the Thomas Messiah, peace be, of, uh, peace be upon him, peace be upon him, he came to revive Islam, mm -hmm. as um, you know, Imam Tahir was saying as well, that, you know, um, that the, the the situation of the Muslims will be in in such dire need. No one will be defending Islam. And the Prophet came to defend Islam and to revive revive faith. There was a need for him to come. Mm -hmm. And slowly through progression, the same way how you know the Holy Prophet came to this world, uh, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And slow progression. And you could look at the Muslim Ummah now. How many Muslim countries there are? How many Muslim nations there are? But they were in dire need for someone to come and revive their faith. And then mm -hmm. the promised Messiah has come. And it's not a new Islam. It's not a new law. It's mm -hmm. the same Quran. It's the same Hadith. It's the same Sunnah. It's the same character and the life of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. It's nothing different. It's all the same. And he has just come to revive that and, you know, um, catapult Islam, catapult Ahmadiyyat to the corners of the world. And inshallah, we'll see progression. And we are seeing progression, but we'll mm -hmm. see exponential progression in the future mm, yeah very well said Imam Shamil it's been a pleasure speaking to you this afternoon thank you for joining thank us so on the much. Drive Time Show thank you so much for having me well we're just heading towards the end of the show and I think um, yeah I mean you know we've got it in front of me you know why is the belief of mainstream Muslims problematic yeah. and I think it's quite obvious isn't mm. it uh, Imran it, why it's problematic because it's such a contradiction absolutely I think just just briefly you know um, first of all it is an Islamic to force someone to convert Islam like yeah. Rafi Deen there is no compulsion in religion mm. then it supports a violent and extremist you know uh, worldview and akin to you know terrorism then it goes against this you know established practice of the Holy Prophet for example the Holy Prophet was a leader of Medina and the Jews and Christians were living in Medina and you know you can never point out me a single example in his life that where he forced anyone to accept Islam. Mm -hmm. there, or rather, there was a, a charter in Charter of Medina. The one point was everyone is free to act upon their religion. And then, you know, Treaty of Hadebiya and in conquest of Makkah, they were, you know, um, the biggest enemy of Islam was Abu Jahl and his son Ikrma did mm -hmm. not accept Islam and his wife got a permission that can he live in, in Mecca and the Holy Prophet gave him the permission mm -hmm. and then he still didn't accept Islam but afterwards when he saw the Holy Prophet he accepted Islam so he never converted anyone by force so mm -hmm. this this uh, you know argument of or this concept of bloodthirsty Messiah is a totally uh, you know contradict to the Islamic teaching and the life of the mm -hmm. Holy Prophet and the Holy Quran categorically says Lakum dinukum for you your religion and for we, for me my religion mm -hmm. so this this is you know this this concept of having uh, you know forced conversion in Islam against the life of the Holy Prophet against the uh, religious history against the Holy Quran against you know morals conduct mm -hmm. and then the promised Messiah wasalam, he states uh, beautifully that do they await the warrior Messiah and Mahdi so that <coughs> sorry so that you know so that they may spell blood killing all enemies and submitting their necks and to spread islam by the sword this is not however proven by authentic hadith or from the text of the holy quran in fact the opposite has been proven by the scholars of islam mm -hmm. and you know that's that's what we're saying you know today here in the program that you know it's this contradiction that stands at the heart of the misinformation really mm -hmm. uh, of um, 
not just Sunni Muslims, but the whole Muslim Ummah, really. Mm. And if we look at, really, and His Holiness, uh, head of the worldwide Ahmadiyya Muslim community, uh, Mirza Masrur Ahmad, says, look at the state of the Muslim Ummah now, the Muslim nations. You know, if they could unite, then we would be a force to be reckoned with, but not in terms of military and strength. But you look at the plight of, say, for instance, you know, countries like Palestine. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not that there aren't any strong Muslim neighbors in the vicinity. Saudi Arabia. What's happening there? Mm-hmm. So, you know, we'll leave at this point. There's one one sign regarding the later coming of the Messiah. The Holy Prophet used the word for for the second coming of the Messiah, Yadul Harb, that he will abolish the war. Yeah. And he will not be a bloodthirsty Messiah. And this is the authentic hadith. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't know uh, where this the concept of bloody Messiah has come. Uh, the Holy Quran, Hadith, and the practice of the Holy Prophet are totally against this. Yeah, exactly. Very well said. And with that, we come to the end of Monday's edition of the Drive Time Show. A big thank you to our producers, uh, Anam Mahmood, and our senior producer, uh, Faiza Mirza. Uh, a big thank you to Wahab. And uh, a thank you to my co-host, Imran Akram. And this was Monday's edition of the Drive Time Show.